the Savior. It was just outstanding. But all those things that we do, so you think of the Hope Center, you think of um, Alpha, you think of all the stuff that we do as a church, we have some very incredible serving volunteers that go way beyond um, really their responsibilities and they're just so committed to what we are doing and most of us wouldn't see that type of commitment. So this morning I particularly want to thank one individual and that's Chris Stewart who's sitting right over there. Chris, I want you to come up here. Come on, Chris. Now, Chris, you had no idea, did you? I was just hoping this, I was hoping this morning you weren't going back overseas for work. Chris actually works overseas in blocks. And so um, what most people don't know, Chris, is about, particularly about his incredible um, service, is he's been involved in the Hope Centre during the week. And he's also done an incredible job helping out at our other campus at Box Hill. We had to renovate their auditorium, which was only finished two weeks ago. Um, and he's just an incredible servant. He's a genuine servant. And even though you wouldn't all see what he does, Charles, Nick and I, we see what you do, Chris. And so we just wanted to thank you and give you a little gift. And uh, we just wanted to bless you and appreciate what you've been doing. So thanks very much. Let's give him a hand. Thanks, Chris. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. I really felt this morning, I've, I've been sort of sitting on this concept about bringing some encouragement for those who feel like giving up. Now, I think if we were all, if we could all have the microphone and speak totally, honestly, and in a vulnerable way, we would actually say there are times where we considered, either now or in the past, about giving up our Christianity. Because I don't know if you're like me, but when I first heard the gospel, so when I first heard the story of who Jesus was, how he came to save us, that he, he actually gave his life by being crucified, and it was the, his death and the shedding of his blood that God the Father used to wash away my sin, I was also told that life as a Christian would be absolutely fantastic. All my prayers would get answered the way I wanted. Anyone else been told this sort of stuff? You have no problems in life. Every little difficult circumstance that you encounter is going to be just fixed by God because He's right on your side. And so sometimes we have this expectation in our head that, well, because I'm a Christian, everything's going to go perfectly. I won't, I'll have a trouble-free existence. I've got an armchair right into heaven. And that's just not the case, is it? We face difficulty, problems, pain, suffering, uh, trials, it, trauma, and it's, it's not necessarily got anything to do just with being a Christian. It's just the fact that we live in the world that we live in, that these things happen. And so discouragement can just come in and it'll begin to erode, corrupt our faith. Not, not saving faith, so not the faith that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm talking about the faith that it takes to maintain a relationship and a commitment to grow and develop as a Christian. Because they're, they're, they're slightly different. So, you know, the initial faith we have is a response to the message of the gospel. That is, we believe, or literally the word faith means we put our trust into who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's a trust issue. Actually, can I have the lights up? Thanks, Lockie. So we put our trust in Jesus. That's what faith is. 
But here's the deal. We might put our faith or our trust in Jesus the moment we make a decision that we agree that Jesus is God and died on my behalf. But I have to continually, daily, put my trust in Jesus when things aren't going well, when I'm sick, when I have no money, or I'm not sure what the future holds, or there's family problems, or there's issues at work, or, you know, my, my neighbour's not getting on with me. Whatever it is, it's a daily commitment of putting your trust in Jesus. That's the sort of faith I'm talking about. And we get discouraged because sometimes our expectations about around what this Christian life should look like or what we were told would happen if we made a decision to actually commit ourselves to follow Jesus and his teachings about living and life, that it, shouldn't, it should be trouble-free and it's just not. And so I don't know what your expectations are or were, but often they don't marry or match up to our life experience in the way that we were either presented the gospel or in our own expectations because we have our own ideas, our own thoughts about what God should do for us and why isn't God doing this for us. And so I want to cover this idea about faith. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, look at verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 6. Now, I know I've got verse 12 on the screen, but I just want to show you something and show you a bit of the structure about what we're talking about with Hebrews chapter 6 because Hebrews was actually written to a group of first century Jewish Christians. So for, for Jews in the first century to become Christians, they had to give up their other way of thinking that there was only well, what they called was one God and now you have Jesus, a human, coming as God. That was so revolutionary to their thinking and they had a whole lot of rituals to keep themselves right or holy before God. And so when you take on that teaching and then all of a sudden you encounter Jesus, you have to swap some of these ideas. And one of the ideas they, they, were, they were grappling with is we thought that Jesus would be the Messiah like a deliverer king. He would be a warrior that would literally turn up, defeat the empire that's ruling over us in a brutal fashion to the Romans and actually create a kingdom on earth that was specifically just for us and protect us. Now, of course, 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he goes back into heaven. And not only that, this is where we share in their story is they make a commitment to follow Christ and give up Judaism thinking that all their suffering, their trials, their struggle with sin, difficulties and traumas would be over. But in actual fact, they faced physical persecution for believing in Jesus. They were being tortured. Some of them end up being put to death because they would not renounce their belief in Jesus. And so this is what the writer wants them to understand about that circumstance they're living through. Look at verse, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying hold again the foundation of repentance from the acts that lead to death and of faith in God. So let's, let's not revisit the basic gospel teaching about who Jesus is, why he came and what he accomplished 
what the writer is telling this church who is suffering great injustice and facing persecution, he's saying, let's not revisit the basic stuff. Let's go on to maturity. Let's actually grow and disciple or discipline ourselves in the more meaningful things that God wants us to understand about him. And so what we, what we share with this culture is the same dynamic. Now, we don't face physical torture and death, at least not in Australia. Many other Christians around the world still do today. In fact, um, statistically, there are more martyrs in the modern era that we live in right now than there's been in any time before in history and also collectively over the last 2,000 years. So these, this last you know, last uh, 50 so years, we've seen more people being put to death for their faith in Jesus. That's not our circumstance, but the dynamic is the same where we face a struggle or a trial, a trauma, a pain-filled event that goes on and on and on, and we are tempted to throw it all in because we, we thought that Jesus would deliver us instantaneously, that he would give us what we want, the way we want it, the minute we ask him for it. Is, is this God stuff really true or have I been sold a furphy? I should interpret that. A lie. I just realized that's an Aussie expression. So this is the context. The context is pain, trial and difficulty have this incredible negative ability to get you to rethink your commitment to God. It's an emotional thing, you know. I, I, sometimes I say to myself, don't believe everything you think, Greg. Don't believe everything you think. Because our interpretation of what's going on, you know, in your life and in my life, our interpretation of our difficulties and our trials are often incorrect. And so we are faced with this idea that God is pushing us, propelling us towards full growth as a disciple patterning ourselves after Jesus' teachings and lifestyle. And one of, the, one of the ways God does that is by allowing suffering because we learn things through suffering we can't learn any other way. So again, we, we're not sharing their physical suffering necessarily, but we share the same dynamic where the pain causes us to question. And I want to bring some encouragement to some people this morning about sticking with your faith that we don't give up. We actually don't give up. There's an element of faith that is instantaneous when we believe in Jesus, but then faith grows into this thing where we're daily maturing. We're daily sowing back into it. We're reconnecting with God every single day, regardless of the circumstances we face. In fact, we don't let the circumstances that we are facing dictate the depth or the genuineness of faith. That's really what he's saying here. But how hard is it not to do that? Because when we're in terrible pain, physical, emotional, mental, wh whatever it is, when we're in terrible pain, we re-question, is God really there? Did Jesus really die on the cross for my sin? Is this Christianity stuff really worth it? And so that's the context in which this is written. So the author's concerned about the possibility of some of these Christians giving up their faith because their present distress was so difficult they were probably considering 
is it worth continuing on in following Jesus? So let me talk a little bit about faith. I'm going to use the phrase genuine faith. Here's, here's one of the dynamics the Bible teaches about faith. The only way you can really tell about fake faith and genuine faith is whether you continue in it. Um, you think of the story that Jesus told in the gospel about the four soils, you know, and particularly right up in Mark chapter 2. And the way Jesus tells the story, he actually says that some people receive the word, but the cares of this life, the deceit, listen to this language, the deceitfulness of wealth steals the word away. So we are faced with this idea that faith, it's not disingenuous when we first respond to Jesus, but are we sowing our faith and letting it grow? Are we nurturing our faith? Are we developing an ongoing commitment? Or a phrase that I, I'd really just, I think it's an incredible phrase by Eugene Peterson. Are we developing a long obedience in the same direction? Because that's what faith is. A long obedience in the same direction. And so genuine faith. Now, let, let me say a few things about faith. That You'll probably know some of this stuff if you've been a Christian for a number of years. You, you'll, this will be familiar. But for those of you who are newer to following Jesus, listen to this. This is what the Bible tells us about genuine faith. It's not possible to please God without it. So you know in Hebrews 11.6, most, most Christians will know that phrase. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's not that God doesn't love you, but... If you don't express genuine faith, commitment in following him, it's not possible to bring him pleasure. Here's the second thing. It defines faith for us. The Bible actually defines it, again, in the same chapter, Hebrews 11, but verse 1. It says that faith is confidence in what we're hoping for. So faith is confidence in the life that's to come and in what Jesus has promised. But it's also assurance. It says two things. Faith is confidence in what we're hoping for, but faith is assurance in what we can't see. We can't see the spiritual realm. It, it's sort of hidden from our physical, natural eyes. And so faith is having the assurance that what God says is true. Romans 1.17, it says, The righteous, that is people who are, have a right standing with God, will live by faith. Corinthians says, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. Faith, James says, without activity or accompanying action is corpse faith, dead. It's a corpse. Faith without action, in the old uh, translation, faith without works, it's dead. So you can have dead faith. As Christians, we don't talk about that. How's your dead faith going? Imagine having that conversation. You got dead faith today? That'd be a good conversation to have, wouldn't it? Now, here's some other things the Bible teaches about faith. Our faith can be weak. So, in Romans 14, verse 1, it says, Except the people around you who have weaker faith. So, we don't always have the same amount of faith. Now, again, not saving faith, but the ability to daily follow God. It's not the same for all of us because of what we tell ourselves, how we feel, our circumstances, all that processing stuff that we allow to happen 
to influence our decision to keep in step with what God wants. So some of us have weaker faith. Faith can be possessed in different measures by different people. So it's a similar idea, but a, a bit more sort of developed. It says in um, Romans 12, 3, don't think of yourself as pretty up there, as a paraphrase, more highly than you should. Don't think of yourself, but according to the measure of your faith. So we measured out different amounts of faith. Faith can grow. So in 2 Corinthians 10, 15, it's, Paul says to the church in Corinth, our hope is that your faith grows. You have to develop it. You have to mature, nurture faith. That, that's the journey that we're on as disciples of Jesus. And here's the one we, we don't really like. We'd, we'd like to get a pair of scissors and cut it out of our Bible. Faith is tested. And that's mentioned three or four times in the New Testament. We quote James very often. But in other places, it talks about the testing of our faith. But it also mentions at the same time that it's strengthened during the testing. So the testing actually has a purpose. God allows certain things because he's trying to mature us as his disciples. So this is genuine faith. Faith can actually also be renounced, abandoned, and destroyed, the Bible teaches. First Timothy, he talks about don't abandon your faith, don't destroy your faith. We can reject or give up our faith, and that's the very problem I'm talking about this morning. See, I think that discipleship is the task of maturing our faith. Not saving faith, but our daily commitment to follow Jesus and pattern our lives after him. So though we're saved from the penalty of our sin the minute we believe in Christ, we are given the task of going on and growing in our faith. It's the process of maturing your faith, process for me to mature my faith. Daily engaging and connecting with God in the midst of horrible, difficult circumstances. That's what God is using to help me mature my faith. Mature faith is not easily swayed, it's not shaken, it's not devalued by the difficulties and the pain-filled experiences of life. Faith is actually confidently trusting the processes and the promises of God. So Hebrews 6.12, which is on the screen, it actually, what the sort of key phrase he gets to in this chapter is this great thing about imitate others who through faith and patience inherited the promises of God. Now, we've heard a lot of sermons on faith over our Christian lives. I'm sure you've heard many sermons on faith. How many of you heard about patience? The Christian patience or patience that God develops us in us through discipling us is not like sitting in the doctor's surgery just waiting or it's not like trying to drive up Plenty Road at 7.30 on Monday morning. <laughs> patience in Scripture is not waiting. And I'm going to unpack that in a few minutes' time. It's much deeper than that. There's, there's actually a different process or, or there's a different word behind it that has a, a different connotation. We think of patience of we're just stuck here and we're waiting. But that's actually not what the writer here is saying and other verses in the Bible that talk about patience is saying. Faith enables Christians to actually face 
trials and difficulties. Genuine faith includes the commitment to stay true to God when we are under extraordinary pressure. That's the history of Christianity. Suffering, persecuted church, and yet it grew during those eras, incredibly, under persecution. Endurance builds character and it leads us to godly victory. We have victory because of our faith in God. And if we continue to the end, if you give up on Jesus, you're giving up on God. That, that, I think that's actually the bottom line. If you give up your faith in who Jesus is, because if you actually unpack the book of Hebrews, what the writer is telling the audience at that time is this. Jesus is God's final word to humanity. He's it. Before he spoke through prophets, yes. And then they had the, the, the Holy Scriptures, the Torah, yes. But he, the phrase is often used, in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So the connection between Jesus and God is so, so intimate. If we give up on Jesus, we're giving up on believing in God. So faith and patience have to go together. And I, I actually, I'm not convinced you can have one without the other. I don't think you can have mature, genuine faith without developing the sort of patience that God wants us to develop. You don't need any faith to do the impossible. You don't need any faith not to believe in God when things are going bad. You need faith if you want to mature and go on in God. And that's why, you know, the key phrase I've got up on the screen there is before you give up, try again. Just try. I think that's a real word for a number of people this morning. Don't give up. Try again. You inherit promises by keeping the faith. Not just the trust up here, but by coming on a Sunday, by connecting with other believers, by sharing our struggles and difficulties. I mean, Jordan mentioned it during communion, that, you know, as, as a team or as a family, you know, when one suffers, we all suffer. When one, you know, has victory, we all celebrate the victory. That, but that's the faith that we're talking about, not your individual belief system that's locked in your head. Faith is never, biblically at least, individualized. It's lived out in church, in a faith-filled community that's getting through this difficult life together. That's what genuine faith is. And so patience, I, I, I think of a coin, I, I think this sort of faith is on one side of the coin and patience is the other side of the same coin. I, I think they go together. Through faith and patience, they inherited the promises. So patience is connected to faith. It's a part of faith. It's, I actually think faith is often expressed through patience. Not just vitriolic, yes, praise God, that's going to happen. I'm believing for this and I'm believing for that. That's also faith, but it's not the only style of faith or the only type of faith you have to express. Sometimes in a long period of suffering and dejection, you have to actually say, well, I, I just believe that God is right here with me. I don't always feel it. I don't always understand what's going on, but I'm expressing my faith. That, you're doing it in patience when you express that sort of faith. So being patient is actually something the New Testament talks about quite a bit. We probably don't realize that, but there are a number of verses. So Romans 8.25 says, 
But if we have, if we have hope and have not seen it, we are waiting in patience. Patience and faith, patience and hope. Colossians 1.11, he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, that's God, and having the ability to endure and be patient. Patience and faith. 1 Thessalonians verse 3, it says, we remember, this is Paul talking to a, a church, and he says, we remember your great work that it's unceasing and your labor of love and your patience. When's the last time you got commended for being patient? The trouble with patient, patience is you don't develop it unless you have to actually practice it. It doesn't sort of just come, does it? Here's a word that I like to use for patience. It's not a real word. I've made it up. Stick to itness. Stick to itness. Just stick to it. Don't give up. Try again. Stick to itness. You know, the people of God historically are very tough people. If you think that Christians are weak, you've got the wrong view of the company of faith-filled forefathers, forerunners, who championed the faith that we're a part of today, both in, in the Bible but also in the natural world that are not in the Bible. Our history is a strong history of people who have incredible substance to endure under, in, in, under unspeakable difficulty, pain and persecution. For long centuries, those who have belonged to God actually have shown that sort of faith even when the world wages war against the faith. But the world's yet to win because Christians are still here, disciples are still being made, you and I are still believing that Jesus is God. They've tried persecution, maybe in your setting, ridicule. Biblically, they tried torture, even exiling Christians so they weren't part of their community. But the way of faith is still very robust and healthy and strong in all parts of the world. Do you think that Christian faith is fragile and only flourishes in the right weather conditions? Or do you see a tough perennial plant that can stick it out through drought, floods, storms, and even being trampled on? Because that's the sort of faith I see when I think of the heroes of faith. A person of faith outlasts oppression. Genuine faith, well, it continues. It, it actually flourishes under pressure. Stick to this. People who don't give up. Some other words the Bible uses for patience is actually the same Greek word, so particularly in the New Testament, but the one Greek word gets translated into different English words, so patience is obviously one of them. Endurance, same Greek word, but in different context, the English translators put the word endurance there. Long-suffering. I don't like short-suffering. Long-suffering, I'm not even want to entertain. But that's the same Greek word that is sometimes translated in our English Bible for patience. All describing the same dynamic of genuine faith that lasts the distance, even under incredible opposition. The way of faith is not a fad that was taken up in the first century and then discarded by the second century. No, it lasted. It's still lasting. The way of faith works. It works if you stick to it. If you give it up, it doesn't work. 
But if you stick with it, it does work. It has been thoroughly tested by hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people before you even came to faith and it's been proven to be true. Strong. That's the way of faith. Now, the Bible word for patience is actually made up of two different words in the Greek language. One of them means to be under. So it's literally just to be under something. The other one means to stay. So they put the two words together and they invented a new word that we translate patience. But in the Bible, it literally means to stay under. Stick to it. When you're under pressure, you practice. That's when you're really practicing your faith. You're not practicing your faith by singing a few songs on a Sunday or getting with other Christians. But, you know, when you're physically suffering or you're challenging, you're being challenged by a circumstance in life that you think is about to crush you and you're still faithful to follow God and believe that he's right here in the midst of your suffering, you're practicing faith. That's, that's it. Even though you're under it, you're staying true to faith. That's what the word patience means. Now, it's interesting, the first half of this verse, I haven't put on the screen, but let me read it to you. In fact, if you have your Bibles, it's just the first half of Hebrews 12, verse 6. I've put the second half on the screen. So the first half of this same verse says, We do not want you to become sluggish, but to inherit those who through faith and patience inherited, sorry, through faith and patience inherited what has been promised. We don't want you to become sluggish. You might have a different translation. You might say lazy. So when I first read that, I thought, I'm not that lazy with my faith. That's a funny thing to say. We don't want you to become lazy or sluggish. So I had a bit of investigation into what that word and what's this concept here. So at times, during our long obedience in the same direction, Christian disciples can get very fatigued. I don't know if that's your experience, but certainly mine. We, we can get quite tired. And at these times when our faith is tested or on trial, here's the problem. We see some Christians flirting with one sensation to another. So they go to the latest Christian fad or you know, they start forgetting their Christianity and start engaging again in the, the old ways. And this is really what the, Hebrew, uh, the, the author of Hebrews is telling these guys, don't go back to your old belief. Don't go back to your old life. In fact, if you read the whole chapter, he says, if you give it up, you publicly disgrace the crucifixion of Jesus. And that's because repentance is public. When you come to faith, other people know about it. And you may not realise it, but when you, when you made the decision to follow Jesus in, in public with other people, either physically there or eventually when you connect to a church and become a, a real disciple, you are publicly saying that the death and the shame of Jesus on that cross was for me. So when you, the opposite's also true. If you give up the faith, you're publicly shaming Jesus. That's what he says in Hebrews chapter 6. He's, he's saying, don't go back. Don't go back to your old way of doing stuff or coping. Don't press the Control-Alt-Delete button and reboot by thinking the way you used to have it was better or it's going to help you more instantaneously because we flirt with all these sort of things under pressure as we can do as Christians. Some Christians, well, they think about quitting on their commitment to Jesus. 
And they're not committed, let's face it, we're not committed to a church as in a, a particular congregation. We're committed to following him. Now, we gather in one local place because we, you know, we live in a local area. That's why, that's why there's so many local churches. But our commitment's actually to God through Jesus Christ. That, that's, what, that's the faith that we have. Some people duck their responsibilities and they bounce from one enthusiastic high to another. You know, they say the music's not good enough or we need more of this or that miracle. That's because we're suffering and we're looking for a quick, easy fix in the midst of our pain. They drift on the tide of convenience. They float around to the latest Christian idea or why isn't the church doing this or not believing that or practicing this new thing. But in actual word, the word in Hebrews 6.12 don't become lazy or sluggish, depending on your translation. It literally means slow. So lazy is probably not the best translation of the word because it's got nothing to do with your effort. Our faith has nothing to do with our effort. But you can be slow to respond to what God's done for you. So it's the idea that you lose momentum. The velocity's gone. The conviction that drove you, you know, once that was so strong and you just knew how real Jesus was and how incredible God's spirit is, it feels like it's hardly, it's hardly a glimmer anymore. This is what that word means, sluggish or lazy, depending on your translation. And so the writer's saying here, don't become slow to the point of death. Don't slow down. Keep going. You may not feel like you can keep going under suffering, but keep going. In fact, then he says, imitate. This is actually a command. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherited. Now, when I read that, I thought to myself, even in natural circumstances, so forget our spiritual side of believing in Jesus and following our our lives over his spiritual teachings about his, his, his way of life, Just think of the things that you wanted to achieve in life. So, you know, even basic things. You want to buy a new chair or a new kitchen table. The only way you got that goal was by exercising faith and patience. It's the only way you got there. So, you know, faith is just trust. So you you wanted to do it, so you made a commitment to do it. And either through having to save the money or going without or whatever whatever the cost was to get it, through faith and patience, you got it. I actually think this is a principle of life. Anything worthwhile is only ever inherited, achieved or realised through the practice of faith and patience. We just don't call it that. You know, we'll say, oh, I had to stop going to movies. You know, Jordan has to stop going to movies because he's getting married. Stop going to church, yeah. But I think it's not just a spiritual truth. This is a principle of living. Faith and patience will get you there. doesn't matter what it is, but it includes your faith in God. Faith and patience. If you want to inherit the full promises of God for your life, it's faith and patience. That's true if you want a new car or change vehicles, change jobs. You can put anything in there. It's faith and patience all the time. In fact, I, don't, I think any promise, any goal... Any target that you've set in your life, you'll only get there with faith and patience. Not just in your relationship with Jesus, but it's, it's probably intensified in your relationship with Jesus 
because your faith's going to be tested. So it's not laziness. It's not like, oh, I couldn't be bothered. You know, it's not, la- not our English word, our current understanding of that word, laziness. It's about you've been slowed down to almost a stop and you lose momentum. You've lost your drive. You've lost your thrust. You've lost your pace. It describes someone who had zeal and inner conviction, but it's actually been displaced. And now they're almost neutral, most theologians say about this word. You've become, oh yeah, whatever, neutral. Don't let your faith become neutral. Middle of the road, take it or leave it. Sluggish faith is dead faith or it's dying, a pretty quick death. So even though on the outside you can look like you're going well, you know, when you come to church, we all say, how you doing? I'm doing well. And you're not, right? You feel that slowness. Inwardly, you're stuck in neutral. You're going nowhere. And if left unchecked, it quickly develops into the inability to make any progress. That's what that word sluggish means. It's apathetic. It's bringing death to patience one theologian i read wrote this about it it's like a virus in your bloodstream the bloodstream of faith it's eradicating the muscle of discipleship and draining you of energy and vitality sluggish but that's what pain does pain makes us reconsider is it worth it now patience doesn't mean perfect that's for sure in fact If you read towards the end of the chapter, the writer throws up Abraham as one of the great heroes of faith. Certainly was, but my gosh, he certainly wasn't perfect, was he? Did a couple of wrong things. But here's the hope that we have. That's what I'm like. I'm not perfect in my faith. I've done many wrong things, but I'm going to stick with God because he's stuck with me. That's really the dynamic. And then he jumps, if you read the chapter, he jumps straight to Jesus. So after Abraham... It's interesting for me, I sort of see the, the, in the writer's mind, it's like, well, Abraham's the father or the beginning of faith. He's the first one that's called out and obedient follows God literally. He has to pack up all his, his home and his tent, take all his family and his servants and his herds and follow. He didn't know where God was going to take him and what God was going to do. So he, we call him the father of faith. Then he jumps to Jesus and Jesus is called the author pioneer of our faith and get this the protect the perfecter the one that gets you to the end i I think the author's done that on purpose abraham to jesus in one foul swoop the father of faith the author of faith and the one that's going to get you to finish finish well so you talk you know that's where we get that song the anchor for our soul behind the veil that comes straight out of hebrews chapter six that jesus has gone into the Holy of Holies in an Old Testament language where God's presence resided and he's the anchor for our souls. Incredible. Um, It's almost a double metaphor, but it's an incredible metaphor. So patience doesn't mean we make mistakes. Faith doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. We do. But one, one Christian poet, he called this verse the passion of patience. Passions of the passion of patience. I don't be too passionate about patience. I don't know about you. So let me finish with this. 
The first word in, in the sentence in this verse that I've got on the screen, it says, imitate. Imitate. Literally means to mimic. In fact, um, in the culture of the time when this was written in the first century, it's the same word that was used for acting in those live plays. So it, it, it can be translated as act, pattern yourself, mimic, copy people who through faith and patience inherited what God promised. Abraham inherited what God promised, not through perfection, not because he lacked struggles or because he had more you know, faith in God and you know, he never had to suffer. No, 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 no. He got what God promised him through faith and patience. And the writer is saying to all of us, mimic him, copy. Act as if you're Abraham. Don't get dressed like him and pack up a tent. But act in the ways that got him there. And it, it's talking about this idea that if we are mimicking someone, imitating someone, you do it because they have a quality or a character that is strong and courageous. And now in, in this first century culture, this, this sort of idea of mimic someone was often used for people who were in the armies like generals or actors I mentioned, but even sports type people, you know, gladiators, like mimic someone that you admire. But here, the author's saying, if you want to inherit all that God's got for you, you have to mimic someone like Abraham, mimic someone like Sarah, mimic someone like Joseph, mimic, you know, mimic someone who through faith and patience inherited all that God had for them. Copy them. Follow them. The word we would use today is disciple. Discipline yourself after them. It's not a one-off action. Oh, yeah, I tried that. didn't work. I've had plenty of people say that to me. Oh, yeah, I tried, I tried that Christianity stuff. didn't work. Christianity work doesn't work or not work. You're either in or you're out. You don't try it once to see if it's really going to be the right thing for you. You've got to keep at it. You can't give up. It's actually the process of becoming. So here's the thing I want to tell you about patience and mimicking. The fact they're used there in the same Greek sentence is it's the idea of that you always or continually act in this way. You copy Abraham in this way. You're always doing it. Don't try it once, twice, three times. Didn't work. I'm out. The word that's used there is this continuous, repetitious, that's what you do because that's what Abraham did. It's not a once-off and hoping that it's all going to grow. You know, a farmer doesn't, well, not even a farmer. I, I'm not a very good gardener, but when I usually, let me say this. If you give me a plant as a gift, I will kill it. Not intentionally. It's just a gift I have. Now, you know, Sue and I, we've tried to plant a few herbs and stuff, you know. Half of them are dead, half of them went to seed. But if I planted something, so this is like the seed of Christianity. If I go and plant something and walk out in my backyard the very next morning and look at the dirt, and all I see is still the dirt where I put the seed and think, well, that didn't work, I'm out. But that's what some people do with their Christianity. They receive the Word. They look at it a day or three weeks Four months later, oh, this is not working. You've got to nurture faith and patience. 
You've got to garrison. You've got to, you've got to water it. You've got to put yourself in the position where other people are experiencing it. You've got to mimic. You've got to copy people who are actually getting to the other side because they have expressed and living out daily faith and patience. It's the process of becoming discipleship. Permanent results because of a continuous process, continuous commitment, not one-off. It's developing, it's cultivating. Patience is not just waiting. That's what I was saying before. We don't just sit and wait. That's not patience. We are putting our faith in God in the midst of extreme circumstances. That's patience. We still follow Him. We're imitating. That's patience. Let me finish with this. I think the reason why the author of Hebrews, which is unknown by the way, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, why he puts out Abraham, and then if you, if you keep reading through Hebrews, we have that long list of heroes of faith, you know, in chapter 11. It's the same author talking about faith and patience, really, through the whole book. And so he, he creates this list, and he talks about Abraham at the beginning because those people in the Bible that we read their stories, what they learned through faith and patience is that God was always going to stick with them. I don't know if you ever had someone stick with you through thick and thin, but when someone sticks with you, you return the favour. You stick with them. So it's not, it's not sort of jeering up more faith in an in emotional sense to try and get through the crisis. It's no. I know that God is sticking with me. He's proven it to me. You think of Abraham. He had to wait 25 years between when God promised him a son and Isaac was born. And then we're not really sure, but another 14, 12 years later, God says to him, sacrifice that son. How's faith and patience going now? But he knew that God was with him. Didn't understand everything that was going on, but because he, he personally experienced the faithfulness of God, he was going to stick with God. I think that's what it is for us. If you stick with it, if you don't give up, if you try again, even when it's tough, what happens is you realize how faithful and incredible God is. Things actually do happen unexpectedly that are miraculous, things that you didn't deserve. Healings take place, deliverance happens, circumstances shift. At some point, those things do happen if you stick with God because He's sticking with you. Jesus didn't send His only Son to give up on us. He's right here with us every single moment, every second, every breath. Let's stick to itness, patience and faith because God sticks with us. So it's the exercising of our faith, even during the midst of pain, that we realize that God is right here with us. God has stuck with us so consistently that we learn to stick with Him consistently. At the end of this list of heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, this is what the author says. Since we are surrounded by a great cloud or a great group of witnesses, it's talking about all those heroes of faith, let us throw off everything that hinders our faith, the doubts, the emotions. Let's throw that stuff off. They suffered just as much as we suffered. In some circumstances, they suffered much more. We can read their stories. So he says, since we're surrounded by these people, these incredible 
faith and patience people, let's throw off all that little stuff in comparison it's little stuff. It entangles us. That's the word he used. And let us run with perseverance. That's the word patience, same key word. The race that God's marked out for us. And let's fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And here he finishes with the example. Even Jesus, because of the joy that was before him, endured the cross. Patience and faith. That's the sort of genuine discipleship we need. So I, I just I just pray, I've honestly, I've been praying all week that you would be encouraged to stick with Jesus. Because God's sticking with you every second. Whether you feel it or not, it's not based on how you feel, it's based on how God's proven himself. Why don't you stand as we finish this morning? I'm going to pray for all of us this morning, including myself. If you, if you don't know what it means to follow Jesus, I've been using that term, or be a Christian or a disciple, I'd love to have a chat with you. So I'll be chilling at the front here. Come and have a chat to me after the service. But for the rest of us, just close your eyes for a moment. Just, just lift your hands before God as a sign of your commitment and surrender to His will and plan as I pray. Father, I just thank You that every single second You're right with us and that Jesus, You, you are the pioneer of the faith that we carry and You're also going to perfect it in our lives every single day. And our commitment is to follow you even in the midst of things we don't understand, things that are difficult for us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister life, hope, strength, to actually be genuine in our commitment to you, that it's expressed daily, whether our feelings are there or not, whether our circumstances are good or not. But through faith and patience, we will inherit all the promises that you've given to us, both corporately and individually. Father, I pray for a release of courage and encouragement to come into the hearts of those who felt like giving up. And they would again see your incredible Holy Spirit as their guide, your word as their sword, and you as their strength. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song to finish. I feel it's a little bit. So let's. Faith and patience is good, right?